Welcome to another episode of the Live to Accomplish podcast with Nathan Shooter. To discover more insightful episodes, blogs, videos, and resources, visit nathanshooter.com. Hey guys, thanks for choosing to join me here on another episode of the Live to Accomplish podcast. My name's Nathan, and as with every episode of the podcast and every blog and every video, it all centers around you and I together sitting down and making time to discover simple ways that we can create significant outcomes. And I honestly believe that overwhelm leads to underachievement. So it really is a passion of mine to help us to find a more approachable way to excellence. So in today's show, we're going to be exploring an area of communication that quite frankly makes a lot of us scared, um, incites a lot of fear and really does make some people angry and make some people just want to run a million miles and that is feedback. Hey, before we get stuck into this episode, I wanted to also let you know that you can go and find a whole bunch of other resources over at nathanshooter.com. So you can find more blogs, you can find podcasts and videos and some free eBooks ready for you to download. So go and check that out at nathanshooter.com and sign up for our email newsletters to find out all about the latest content the minute it's available. All right, so let's now start our exploration into the world of feedback, this big, mysterious, vague world of feedback that we probably have a bit of a mixed relationship with. We probably had really great experiences with it. We probably had quite opposite, really bad, negative experiences with feedback too. And that's okay. So it's it's actually probably a good thing to have had a really great and a less than great experience with it because then we know what it's like to give and to receive uh, feedback that's not done well. When I sat down to write the blog and put together the notes for this podcast, I started by reflecting on why feedback was so important to me. And essentially, feedback can just be like one of many communication devices, right? In, in our business practices or in our families or relationships and whatnot. But for me, feedback is literally um, life or death in business. So sure, as a kid and as a student, feedback's really important, but its importance was elevated to me uh, when I started my business. And so that was about 13 or 14 years ago when I started my creative business. And essentially what happens is when a customer comes to you and says, hey, we need this creative project done, whether it's a design or it's a video or it's a marketing advice or whatever it might be, they're essentially saying to you, here's the concept that we want you to create and then use your energy or your, your creative soul to be able to produce that result. And so early on, I knew that I would have to learn how to, I guess, in a sense, detach my emotional investment from my logical investment in, into the projects. And so if somebody then came back with a criticism, like saying, you know, this is not what we imagined or not what we requested, I was able to, over time, learn how to separate uh, my feeling of creative worth from, you know, fulfilling the design brief or the production or the, or the video brief. And, you know, initially I wasn't good at that. And, you know, yeah, you can get hurt by that kind of thing because just for imagine... It's just also a little bit like a, a chef who might put heaps of energy and effort into creating a beautiful dish only for someone to send it back to the kitchen or for a songwriter for that matter to spend months preparing this beautiful three and a half minute song only for um, someone to give it a really really harsh critique you know so it's kind of like a situation where you're putting your your soul on the table and asking people to comment on it and so I knew that if I was going to have any kind of longevity in creative business I needed to learn how to separate my emotional investment 
investment from my logic investment. And so that's why feedback's really important to me because 14 years later, I'm still here. I'm still surviving uh, with my with my creative business. And so in this episode, um, you're going to find a seven point plan. And at the end of it, I'm going to let you know where you can find a free PDF um, checklist that you can download as well as a hamburger model. Yes, you heard that right. A feedback hamburger model that'll help you give better feedback. So let's start by taking a bit of a 30,000 foot um, overview of the, the seven steps or the seven stages. Okay, so number one is the right people. Number two is the right time. Three, the right place. Four, the right message. Number five, the right method. Number six, the right language. And the last one, number seven, the right exchange. And that seven point plan has been really useful in um, the decade and a half of doing creative business, as well as in other areas of life, like, you know, family and friends and in other settings uh, that we find ourselves communicating a lot with the same people. So we live in a culture obsessed with taking offense and being politically correct about everything, um, so much so that it can be tempting to avoid all of those difficult conversations. However, if we have the right tools and we're armed and prepared, we can help people by approaching feedback with confidence instead of feeling fear. It's always going to be a risk. So it may come as a surprise to you that working with people is risky business. Not everyone is going to get along and there'll be plenty of moments when we all disagree and we're going to make mistakes and create a mess in the process. So the feedback experience shouldn't provoke feelings of anxiety and fear, yet it does. And this can be attributed to a blend of bad experiences mixed in with an experience of people not knowing how to deliver feedback properly to you. But in all of this big mess, there's still hope. So a gentleman named Frankie Byrne once said, respect is love in plain clothes. So if the way we deliver feedback is motivated by respect and driven by love, then it's definitely going to be a risk worth taking. So it's going to be an experience that is going to be more positive than negative. It doesn't mean it's going to be simple or easy. It can be quite uncomfortable yet still create a positive end result. So I firmly believe that by the end of this podcast and by the end of the blog, if you've read that and end of the videos, you'll be armed with seven keys to delivering life building feedback to those you lead and love. So where do we begin? The first and most logical place to start would be to accept that it's a mutual experience, right? So you've got two people involved in the feedback loop. You've got the sender and the receiver. So for feedback to be a productive exercise, the onus for improvement really should fall on both camps, both the sender and the receiver. So George Bernard Shaw said, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. So what he's saying is that the whole problem with communication is the fact that we think we've communicated, but we actually haven't communicated. So this means that both sides, right? So the senders and the receivers both need to take responsibility for knowing how communication is done and knowing when it hasn't been done properly. Okay, so let's zone in on the senders for the moment. So what are the common problems among the senders? As people delivering the correction, there's a propensity to unknowingly come across as being superior. And this can really be bad news for the receiver because it puts them on edge, you know, and it causes them to become defensive and unreceptive to the change that you want to bring. And that creates an epic fail in, in, in relation to successful feedback. And then we've got the receivers. So what are the common problems there? 
as recipients of feedback, it can feel like the other person's taking this chance to tear us to pieces, all in the name of helping us. So being in this emotional state, it really isn't productive at all. And it can lead to missing out on some really valuable learnings. And it can also make um, the receivers vulnerable to feeling hurt. And that also is a major feedback fail. Okay, so where to from here? We've already now said that both the sender and the receiver are equally responsible for making feedback a really great experience. But what about a plan? Like what do we use as tools to arm ourselves to make sure that our half of the feedback loop is done responsibly? Well, can I just tell you that um, after 13 years of creative business, there's definitely things that I've learned from receiving the most beautiful, kind feedback and also receiving the most disgusting, soul-destroying feedback um, over those years. And there's a lot of things that I've learned that I should do more of or do less of as well. And um, one of the first things is to, I guess, understand what feedback is and also what it's not. And so feedback we should accept as not being uh, mediation. That's a different level of um, conflict resolution. It's also not intervention. It's not about disciplining somebody and it's certainly not a chance to have a good old fight. <laughs> you probably already know that, but it's really clear um, to us what feedback is when we, when we kind of look at what it's not. So it is, however, a moment to respectfully bring I guess correction and control them into approving, improving uh, to a situation that requires help. So when we have a plan to deliver feedback, you won't want to shy away from having difficult discussions because you know that people are going to grow as a result because you've taken time to plan. So let's dive into the seven point plan by starting at number one, and that is right people. So who are the characters involved in your feedback story? It's really vital that we know who the players are, and it's also really important to know who to include and also exclude. So we often remember and we think about the people who are involved, but we don't think about, hmm, maybe not all these people need to be involved in this feedback session. So here are some dot points to consider when it comes to knowing who should be involved in your upcoming feedback session. Number one, who is the feedback actually for? Have you thought that one through? It might be really obvious to you, but sometimes we direct it towards the wrong person. Number two, do you have rapport with that person? Often we talk about kind of love banks, right? So we say that we have, you know, an, a, a relational credit or relational balance in that person so that we can draw upon that if we need to bring correction. So have a think, do you have rapport? Number three is who is the right person to give the feedback? So could it be somebody other than you? Maybe you think that you're cool and calm and you'll be okay, but actually there's some latent anger there. So maybe you need to think that through and say, you know, maybe someone else is better, better place to give the feedback. Number four, who needs to be present? Do you or the other person need extra support? So both people, if you're going to invite people, then you also need to be considerate about not giving the appearance of ganging up. So number five, which is a logical extension of this one, is does the situation require a mediator? And if it does, then this isn't feedback. This ends up being a conflict resolution situation, which is beyond feedback. And number six, for knowing who the right people are and to be involved, is who could you get advice from prior to going into the feedback session? So do you have a really great mentor, a really great boss or a friend or family member who can just kind of like be a sounding board for your ideas on how you're going to be approaching the feedback? Okay, part number two, 
which is the right time. The timing of feedback um, really does dramatically affect how productive and successful the conversation becomes. I know that I've been in situations where um, people had just kind of like shotgun and blasted people with feedback immediately after, you know, something's happened and the person is not ready and they're not receptive to feedback just right there and then. It doesn't mean they're not ever going to be receptive. It just means that right then it's been a high stress or a time sensitive environment and they're not not ready for it. So those kind of situations, the people need to think about timing. So there's three different kind of types of timing. And so there are immediate, delayed and routine. So the first one is immediate. So giving feedback as soon as and reasonably as you can after a situation has occurred is great because then your comments are highly relevant because as time elapses, the chance of being misinterpreted definitely increases. Then there's delayed. There are also times when immediate feedback, like I mentioned earlier, is absolutely not helpful. It can actually make things a lot worse. And uh, rather than giving your immediate feedback during a highly sensitive or a high stress event, instead, why don't you say to the person, hey, I just want to flag with you that, is it okay if we talk and give feedback later on? And you also just say to them, hey, I understand that right now is not appropriate, but we do need to also have a discussion. But also just as a side note from that, don't wait too long because you can, without knowingly, create anxiety in that person by kind of holding it over their head metaphorically, even though you probably don't think that you are. And the third type of timing is routine. So in workplaces, it's very healthy to create an expectation for routine feedback. So whether you call it an appraisal or you call it a performance review, whatever you want to call it, create the expectation that it's going to happen. Whether it's formal or informal, people need to know that it's coming and also the frequency from which they should expect it to come. Part three is right place. It's commonly said that we should praise people in public and correct them in private. And that's really great advice. But how do we implement it? What do we do with that? Well, obviously, you know, if you've got people who are producing great results in your team or, you know, in your family, you definitely praise them up in front of the other guys. And then people go, yeah, these guys are being recognized and they're receiving praise from, you know, a fellow team member or from their upline manager. And that's really great to show endorsement. And then the other side of the coin is when we correct people, don't embarrass them by doing it on a stage. Say to the people involved, you know, we do need to have a discussion, but hey, let's have it in the safety of a private moment. So there are kind of three different things that we can do to make sure that we're creating the right place. So the first one is common ground. Is there a neutral place that gives you both an equal emotional footing? So let's just say, for example, you're in a workplace and instead of bringing someone into your very senior office, a very formal and stuffy office, why not choose a lounge area, one that's relatively private? It'll help really decompress the tension in that chat. Uh, Number two is openness. So consider if you do have to have a conversation in your office, why not leave the door slightly ajar or even a window open or consider meeting outside if you can. And this will help, again, depressurize the conversation. And the last little thing to consider is the level of formality. So perhaps it is a very formal, say, performance appraisal, then you are going to choose a particular venue or a particular kind of room to conduct it in. So either way, the idea here is to be intentional about it because that's going to affect how the conversation unfolds. And we come to part four, which is right message. Before we even schedule a time to deliver feedback, 
We need to be really sure that our message is clear and that our motives are definitely pure. It's really important to examine your motives before going into a session because you've probably experienced very bad feedback in the past too. So maybe the person who did that to you didn't examine their motives before approaching you. So you as a, as a sender, do you generally desire to help the other person or are you simply just trying to get things off your chest? And if you are, that's not a really healthy approach at all to, to feedback and things are going to go bad for you. So what about your feeling of wanting to prove a point? And if that's something that you want to do as well, then maybe again, your motives are not pure. And if you do end up saying those things in a feedback um, conversation, it's going to create imbalance and it's not going to end well again for you. So then you can reflect on the issue itself and think, mm, am I really motivated by a pure motive out of this issue or am I, making, am I making something of nothing? We've all been hauled into somebody's office at some point to discuss something that really is of little consequence. And so if we're going to be making something of nothing, it's going to create relationships um, that are tense and that really do not end up in a good place. So the last point on the motivations is I just want to say that personal values and emotions are going to get challenged. So before you go into that setting, think about what it is that's triggering, um, a, I guess, a bit of dissonance with you. And so that might be a sense of injustice or you know somebody's work ethic not matching yours. And whatever it is, if you can, try to not allow that to filter the way in which you then come to the next part of delivering the message. So the message we have to make sure we, we agreed is very clear. So we have to prepare. So one of the ways that I kind of prepare myself is to do a bit of a mental walkthrough and think about the meeting before I walk in. And that I want to think about, you know, the different things that might transpire as we progress through the talk. And then I also want to think about the issues that I'm going to bring up. And I deliberately only kind of think about bringing up two or three issues because really if you bring a long list, um, the other person's going to feel attacked. They're going to feel like you've got this big magazine full of bullets when really all you need to do is to bring one or two things which you can actually deal with in the time you've got. And that's the thing. The next part is keep it achievable. So focus on the issues that the person can actually change. So what we want to do is to empower them with hope of improvement. Not just make them feel even worse about something that they know they could have improved on. So we do that by creating benchmarks. And this is the next point here is that are there mutually understood guidelines? So this will help us um, to be able to understand the expectations and promises for next time. So maybe you're in a team setting and that there already is a team guide that, you know, guidebook that perhaps the person's not adhering to, but they just need to be reminded of it. And then there's a kind of a benchmark that you both agree that you need to live up to together. And the next part is going forward. So talk constantly in a forward direction. I don't know about you, but when I've been in a, uh, been the recipient of feedback from a client and then when they keep going around in circles and rehashing the issue, I just get really down and like, there's just nothing that you can do to bring it forward when someone just keeps rehashing and talking in circles. So make sure we're always talking forward. And the last thing on our message is our message must include a component of action and preferably right at the end. And that's encourage the other person to act as a result of what you've discussed today. So maybe agree on one thing that you can do as a result of that meeting. And now we arrive at part five, which is right method. You would have heard people say before that the medium is the message. 
So how somebody has said something is what they're trying to say to you. So that is sometimes true and also untrue at the same time. So the method that you choose to convey your feedback is going to say a lot about you and your ideas, a lot more maybe than you think. So for example, sending an email might tell the other person that you're wanting to avoid confrontation. When actually on your side of the fence, you're thinking, hmm, I can better order my thoughts if I compose an email. So actually there's two different interpretations going on when it comes to seeing the method of the message. So what do we do? You know, well, we need to have a bit of a think about what our method is saying about who we are and about what we're trying to say. So there's four main kind of modes, I guess, that you can use to deliver good feedback. So the first one is in person. I would say that having an in-person conversation is probably the best and also the most courteous option. And that's because of a number of reasons. But the main one is you can actually see their body language and you can understand what's going on. So the next one would be, you know, second best kind of option, which is video meetings. And so I work with people around all around the world and sometimes having a Skype conversation is a good and efficient way to be able to get through a whole bunch of changes on a creative project that I might be working on. And while I might be really efficient because of long distance, there are also uh, times when it's not efficient. And those are times when you can't fully see what's going on and you can't read their body language. And so you're really kind of interpreting of like a small screen and it's not great, but it's certainly better than the next one, which is a phone call. So these are moderately effective, like phone calls are good, but it also relies on both the sender and the receiver being very intentional about how they use their vocal tone. And this is done in a sense to replace your body language because you can't see them. You can't see what's going on. So you rely on the mood being conveyed by how they speak and by the tone that they use as they talk to you. So the very last one, which I wouldn't say is your first port of call by any means, and that is email or text message. And this is where things get a little bit risky. And some people do this so they can have, you know, tangible proof and so forth of how discussions transpired. But I find it risky because there's a lot higher opportunity for tone um, to be misread. And there's just the subtle nuances of, of speaking with voice, voice tone or with body language that we sometimes can't include in a text form like an SMS or an email. So if we can avoid that, then we should. You really don't want to be that guy who breaks up with somebody on SMS, right? You do not want to be that person giving feedback. So regardless of how you choose, like the method you choose to give your feedback, we have to make sure we do everything we can humanly possible to be understood. That's one of the greatest human yearnings and that's to be understood. The next stage is part six, which is write language. Frank Clark said it really elegantly when he said, criticism like rain should be gentle enough to nourish a man's growth without destroying its roots. For example, I've got a lot of um, indoor plants around my home because I love to have green stuff around the house. But, you know, and sometimes looking after them, you can water them too much. And when you do that, often you expose the roots because of the water pressure. And what he's saying in this statement about criticism, he's saying that the rain needs to come or the correction or the feedback needs to come in such a way that it nourishes a man or a woman's growth without destroying its roots. So that you should be able to bring that with gentleness, but with enough strength to be able to still create change. So the language that we choose will definitely influence the success of our feedback session. So here's a bit of a look at some of the things that we should consider about our use of language. Number one, speculation. So we need to stick to what happened rather than why we think it happened. 
because presuming you know the other people's motives is going to create further tension and we just don't need that. Number two is impact. So we need to speak and focus on the impact that the person's behavior had rather than just the person themselves. We wanna bring perspective and not make it so highly personal because that's really gonna make them feel awkward. Number three is generalizations. Avoid words that create defensiveness and maybe even cause them to shut down. So say for example, making generalizations like saying, you never do this or you always do a certain thing. What it's gonna do is actually discredit your feedback by confusing it in the other person's mind as being blame. That's really not a, a good place to be because they're not gonna listen and look at the actual facts. Number four is conjunctive words. And this is a little bit of a tricky and a subtle one, but we need to be aware of giving someone say a compliment followed by the word but or or. So it can basically almost void any affirmation we give before a really helpful criticism. Like saying, yeah, you did this really great thing this afternoon with the report, but you got XXX wrong. So it's kind of like sometimes, not always, it can just kind of avoid anything complimentary that we might have said um, before the constructive criticism. Next one is number five, adjectives. So resist dramatizing all your points by overusing adjectives. We don't want to emotionally charge every um, point that we're going to be bringing in the feedback session. It's not helpful. Number six is prepare. So think through ahead of time um, how you're going to respond if the chat takes an unexpected turn. So this is what I do, um, particularly in a, in a design conversation, I might think through a scenario and think, okay, so if they don't like this concept, I'm pretty sure they'll like this one and I'll then chat about X, Y, Z. So maybe you can do that too in your uh, next feedback session. Think about what you can kind of, you know, predict and then how you're going to respond ahead of time so you don't just react and then end up saying something you regret later on. And here we are on the home stretch with part seven, which is the right exchange. So there's a really good reason why us as humans have been designed with two ears and only one mouth. And um, I don't know about you, but I've certainly met people who I'm convinced had two mouths and only one ear. And that probably sounds mean to say, but I wouldn't say that if I hadn't met those kind of people. And I'm sure you've met those kinds of characters as well over your time in, in business or life in general. So if we're the one facilitating the exchange, let's do everything we can to ensure the other person feels like they've been understood. And also for us, do everything we can to make sure that we are also understood by the other person. So I've thought through some of the things that have worked for me that perhaps are going to help you as well. So at the top of this episode, you would recall that I mentioned that I'd talk about the feedback hamburger. And a lot of you may already know about that, but if for you guys that are not already aware of it, just to imagine in your mind a picture of a hamburger. So you've got the beautiful soft bun on top, then you've got the juicy meat in between, and then you've got the soft bun underneath. And so you've got these three major components. So the top of it, which is the bun, is affirmation. It's a really good positive way to start your feedback exchange. So it's important to note here that affirmation is not some cheap and shiny compliment that you don't really mean. It's really um, a really respect oriented thing. So when you're thinking about a way to affirm the person's value, be specific in how you affirm or compliment them. Then the middle section, as you would have guessed, is the meat, which is the constructive criticism that you want to bring. It's the change element. And then again, you have underneath the bun, which completes the exchange by again, affirming and giving that respect to that person again and ending the whole experience 
in a positive frame of mind. So once again, be specific, be kind and be positive in the way that you affirm them, but make it real. So aside from that hamburger model, which you are going to get on a PDF download available in the show notes, um, but here are some other things as well that are going to be useful to you. So number one is viewpoints. So before presenting your points in the exchange, offer the other person an opportunity to share their perspective. And the reason why I suggest doing that upfront or at least early in the conversation is often the other person can reflect on things that you're going to bring up anyway. So if it if it's going to be coming from them, they're going to own the issue in a greater way. And it's also going to reduce the amount of uh, time you need exploring that topic. Okay, the next thing is pause. So after speaking, allow the other person time to perhaps collect their thoughts and then respond to you instead of reacting to you. The next one is to wait. So resist interrupting to correct information. So let's just say that they're talking about something that you know is factually incorrect or, you know, something that doesn't seem quite right. Rather than just correcting them in the the moment right there and then, allow them just time to finish and talk it through. And then afterwards, if it's relevant, then you can bring, you know, some maybe some factual um, accuracies to what they've said. Another really good thing to do is to look for keys. So I often do this when I'm sitting down to discuss a creative project that we've been working on with a client. So whether it's a design thing or a video or an audio project, I often think to myself, okay, listen for the keywords or the key concepts. And I might note them down either mentally or on, you know, an iPad during the meeting. And that means I've got a bit of a framework to continue the conversation on. So it's really useful and you can definitely do that in your formal or informal conversations. All right, so another really good thing is to repeat. So in your own words, repeat back to the person um, that which they've said to you. So it's a really good way to demonstrate that you understand what it is they're trying to share with you. And it's really easy to do. So it might even be as simple as once they finish speaking, you can just say, what I'm hearing you say is ABC. So you're very clearly demonstrating, hey, I've heard what you've said, I've synthesized it in my mind, and then I've understood it. And you do that by repeating it back to them. So you can do it very naturally. Cool. Now the next one is insight. And this is a really good one to create emotional buy-in. So you can do that by asking them about what they personally would do to improve their behavior or situation. And that is a better result than you just simply or commanding them and telling them what to do. So it's going to be a lot healthier for them to, uh, I guess, think it through and make it their emotional buy-in to create change. And the last tip for this section is to bring balance. And you can do that by simply, you know, being a bit human, letting your guard down a bit and just sharing some of the stories of your shortcomings or mistakes that you've made that you've learned from. And it's a really good way to create empathy by showing them that you're just like them. You know, you're fallible and you're human, but you've also learned and you've grown as a result of making mistakes, but you've also grown more importantly as a result of having these discussions. And that's the key learning that you want to, I guess, encourage the other person to see in what could be a little bit of a tense conversation is that, yep, there's hope um, and that even out of this mess, you can grow and develop as a person. Well, I really do hope that this episode has encouraged you to feel like you're going to be more confident when you approach the next feedback situation that you find yourself in, whether that be you as a sender or as a receiver. So just to do a quick recap, uh, number one was the right people. 
two, the right time. Number three was right place. Number four was the right message. Number five, the right method. Six, the right language. And number seven finally was the right exchange. You can also find a written version of this episode over at nathantudor.com. So I really do appreciate you spending time on this podcast with me when there are literally thousands of other podcasts that you could be spending time on as well. So to reward you, I want to give you a chance to download a free PDF that gives you the feedback hamburger model as well as the seven point plan on how to give better feedback. Well, friends, have an amazing week. Make it one of the best you've had yet. And do that by having a bit of a think about the simple things that you can do or change to create a significant outcome so you can really live to accomplish. Until next episode, we'll catch you later. Thanks. Thanks for joining us today. To connect with Nathan, simply visit facebook.com forward slash Nathan Shooter blog or Twitter and Instagram using at Nathan Shooter. We also invite you to comment, ask questions, and subscribe to the email editions at nathanshooter.com.